In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today and next week at least, um, we're going to be speaking about the topic of church canons. Does anyone know what church canons are? With one N and not two? Sometimes people will spell it with two N's, so that means something different. Like the rules, right? The rules. Um, so the church has many different rules. And, and, you know, a lot of us are familiar with the rules. You know, for instance, like how we need to fast before taking communion or what the fasting rules are, fasting Wednesdays and Fridays, um, the rules related to marriage, the rules related to priesthood. The, you know, all, there's all kinds of different rules, the rules about even speaking in church and um, things that maybe a lot of us know. But we don't necessarily know that these things come from canons. Canons are like rules that have been formally adopted by the church and explicitly written out um, as to what kinds of things we should be following. So these are, um, they're not holy tradition in the sense that it's not like, um, it's, it's not like these things are, 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 are necessarily uh, related to like the faith. They're just guidelines that the church chooses to adopt um, for one reason or the other. So we want to speak a little bit about them and try to understand. So the, the, the canon law um, is a branch of theology, and it's used to regulate different aspects of the church. And um, the, the church, because it has authority over the believers granted to the church by God, um, this is why the church is able to create these laws and make them binding on the people. Because um, these laws are not written in the Bible, um, and these laws can be created at any time. Uh, and, and so they govern the church, right? Um, and they, they are kind of like, uh, you know, w w sometimes people make the mistake of, of thinking of them as the same as like the legal system. You know, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the legal system, you have laws, and, and if you break the laws, then there is some punishment. There is some consequence to breaking the laws. And the laws are very well defined and written down. Um, and and there there there's not really many exceptions to them except in very like special situations, um, and they're binding on everyone, right? And you can be prosecuted if you break the law, right? Um, the canons are not really like that. The canons are guidelines that the church has put down for the benefit of like the spiritual life of the people. There's a lot of flexibility in the canons, and actually the bishop can choose to apply or not apply. Um, certain canons in his diocese as he sees fit. The church actually has many canons that we are currently not abiding by. For instance, there are canons in the church that speak about if a woman has an abortion, then she cannot take communion for 14 years. Right? This is a canon um, written and, and accepted by one of the councils. Um, but we don't ab ab apply this canon now because maybe there was a time where that canon made sense to apply and maybe it had a positive effect um, you know, and preventing people from, from like making it known that like this is a sin and we shouldn't do it and so on. Whereas nowadays, if, if you were trying to apply such a canon, maybe it wouldn't have a positive effect. Maybe it would have a reverse effect. Um, so one thing to understand is that canons are oftentimes um, applicable to a certain time and sometimes to a specific region. You can even have canons that contradict each other. So meaning what? Like there was a period of time in the church where um, it was seen as being uh, fine to take communion, uh, like the priest after the praying the liturgy who would take the communion to people who are sick um, in their homes, right? And actually we, we do this now. 
Um, and so there was a canon that was written saying the priest can do this, right? This is something okay for the priest to do. But then they, they ran into a problem where when people would see the priest on the street, they would know that he could be taking communion to someone, and they would go and they would attack him and they would take the communion from him. So at a later period of time, there was another canon that was written that said the priest should not take communion um, to people in the street or to people in their homes. And at that time, they would build hospitals um, near the churches or like connected to the churches. Um, and so there wouldn't be an, a reason usually for the priest to need to do that because the, the sick people would usually be right there and they, he wouldn't need to travel to their home. So if you were to look at the, the, the law, the canon law, you would see, well, there's this canon and there's this canon, and they're kind of opposite. They contradict each other. So which one is applied? So uh, the point that I'm trying to make is that the canons are not like hard and fast rules. They can just be read and applied literally exactly like that. But there are a lot of things that we do abide by. And, and, and essentially, in the end, the bishop is the final authority over what canons are going to be applied and what canons are not going to be applied for pastoral reasons. The word canon is a Greek word, and it means measuring rod, measuring rod. And the reason it's a measuring rod is because it's kind of like something that we measure ourselves by. So we look at our lives, we look at our behavior, and we say, um, how do I measure up to the rules that like, the church has placed, right? So this is, this is why the, the word canon is used and, and, and what it means. So it's a standard of behavior against which rules are measured and is part of the church's ministry. Uh, canons help us to adhere our behavior to a standard which is the will of God. Canon law is a contradiction because, again, the word law implies kind of the legal law, like the secular law, and canons are not really like that. So even when we use the term canon law, it's kind of like maybe has a wrong implication. Um, canons are not legislation such as secular laws, but they're a standard that we try to abide by and live by. And we believe that the canons are beneficial to us, right? They are put in place for some beneficial reason. Canon law is a standard by which we measure any circumstance to determine whether it reflects the church's ministry. Okay, so um, it's it's a way of of um, applying the, the 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 spirit of the law to the people so that they would abide by it. Um, canons come in different forms. So some of the canons are orders, like they'd say you must do some positive action. There's like some positive action that needs to be done. Right, that's a type of canon. Um, there's also other canons that are prohibitions, meaning it forbids some type of action, like a thou shalt not type action. Um, that's another type of canon. There's other kinds of canons that's like kind of neither of those, and they just might spell out certain rules, um, uh, or, or or like in the church or different circumstances. For instance, there's canons that identify the ranks of the priesthood, right? Um, there's uh, canons that speak about various dogma or preaching. Right, they're not really about orders or rules, like either positive or negative, but they just outline the beliefs of the church in one way or the other. Okay. Also, some canons include punishment if the canon is not abided by, whereas other canons do not um, ap apply any kind of punishment. Some canons um, were enacted as emergency measures due to issues at the time, um, and they had limited applicability to that time. So again, that's why it's important. That if you were actually to study the canons and look and read them, you'll find that um, there are certain things that even might sound strange to us because we don't necessarily understand the context of why they were created. So, for instance, there is a canon that punishes people who do not eat meat or drink wine on a feast day. Right. So if it's a feast day, you are required to eat meat. 
and you will be punished if you don't eat meat. So why is it such a canon exist? It sounds kind of strange. I don't think nowadays we need a rule to tell us to eat meat, like the eating meat is just going to happen naturally. Um, but it was, it was counteracting a heresy at the time, right? And that heresy was um, essentially uh, like, like th the point of the feasts and the point of like having certain periods of fasting is that, you know, like in the fast, you're like focusing on asceticism, on repentance, and on the feast, you're focusing on like celebration, right? Um, so that's why it's actually prohibited from fasting during the Holy 50 Days. You know, there are some people um, who choose for ascetic reasons to fast the entire year, right? But there are certain periods of time where you're not allowed to fast because it's considered a joyful time and it's prohibited to fast. Even, for instance, like um, if, a, if a priest is ordained um, such that right before the Holy 50 Days or during the Holy 50 Days, he's supposed to go to the monastery for 40 days and during the 40 days he's supposed to fast. But if it's during the Holy 50 Days, he will not fast. Right, he can he can fast after he comes back from the holy forty days from his forty days, um, but he can't fast during the holy fifty days. Bishops also, after they're being or being ordained, they have to fast for an entire year. But if it's during during the time of the holy fifty days, they will not fast. Okay, because again, this is a canon of the church. The purpose of the canon was to um, to emphasize the importance of the celebration of the joy of the resurrection. Um, that there are certain feast days that we do not fast in. Okay. Um, some some canons were designed to apply to a certain period of time for a specific purpose, like for a specific situation. Other canons were designed to last. So, for instance, canons that speak about the ranks of the priesthood. This is not like a time-limited canon. It's something that applies, you know, all the time. This, this is the same three ranks of priesthood exist. Um, some were written to clarify the wisdom of an action, and some used canons like this to preach to the faithful. So you might have a, a canon that emphasizes... Uh, something that was done. Why is it that was done? Or a canon that emphasizes some dogmatic principle that we believe in to make it clear, to make it emph to, to emphasize it, to make it um, very clear that this is what we believe in and why. Okay? Yes. It wouldn't be, so if the bishop decides to apply a rule, it wouldn't necessarily be considered a canon. Um, there are canons that are passed by council. So, like, many of the canons that we have in the church were, were passed by local councils um, that applied to, like, a sp specific region, but then it was accepted by the church as a whole as being binding on the church as a whole. So, typically, a council will pass a canon, not an individual bishop, um, and, 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 and it's designed to apply to that region, but sometimes it can be adopted by the church as a whole. Um, there's also canons that were uh, passed in the ecumenical councils um, as well. But uh, I, don't, I don't really think that the, the bishop passes a canon. I mean, the bishop, because the bishop is the authority. So, so essentially, the bishop tells the church in his diocese what it is that's going to be practiced. It's not necessarily that there's a formal canon that's enacted in that case. Why does the church need canons? So someone say, well, if the church is divine, why are canons needed? So the church is different than any other entity because it unites the divine with the human. So you're taking what is divine, right, which is based on the foundation of the church, which is Christ, um, but the church is composed of people, right? And so the human component 
um, requires some regulation or some governance um, to 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 make sure that everybody is following the spirit of the law in the right way and to create an economy of salvation economy meaning like a plan a system of salvation where uh, where, where everybody is benefiting so for instance the types of fasting that we have the fact that the fasting is vegan um, the days of fasting the seasons of fasting um, of course this could be different right like there's nothing about the specific days of fasting like yeah you know uh, for the nativity fast we fast for 43 days um, why I mean it, it, there, there, there's like symbolic reasons why it was 43 days but but w it could have been any number right and other Orthodox churches they don't have the exact same fasting days as we have they have different days so it's not like the the fasting days is dogma it's not like God said you must fast these many days but the church said we believe that this is beneficial for the people so we are going to create canons that outline what are the fasting regulations in the church and then everybody abides by them okay um, so the other thing to understand is the canons of the church are spiritual they're designed for some spiritual benefit they're, they're not designed for administrative purposes as much as they're designed for some kind of spiritual benefit primarily right so they're looking at what will benefit the people spiritually um, what are some similarities and differences between canon law versus secular law um, so similarity between the two is can be a misconception so some consider canons of the um, to be the law of the church right which is incorrect so as I said before it's not like there is hard and fast rules and laws of the church like you would have in the government uh, and that, that we're all called to abide by these laws or else there's like consequence and they're applied like completely uniformly right um, the, the the bishop for pastoral reasons can choose to bypass almost anything and even the priests can do that so for instance like if somebody you know we know that you're supposed to fast before you take communion um, but if somebody comes and says well I'm sick and I have to take medication or they're pregnant and they can't fast right these are exceptions right the, the law itself, like maybe the difference between secular law and the canon law, is that in secular law, everything has to be outlined. That's why the law books are just gigantic, right? Because everything is outlined um, and mentioned in, in, in complete detail, right? Whereas in the, in the canon law, there is a lot of uh, deference given to the, the bishop or the priest to interpret the canon and to apply it as he sees fit for pastoral reasons for each individual. So if an individual person has a reason why um, that it would be very difficult or impossible for them to abide by a certain canon, it can, there can be an exception made for that person according to the discernment of the, of the clergy, right? Um, it's, it, it, that's, that's not the same as like in secular law. Like a person can't just come and say, uh, well, no, you no longer need to follow a certain law, right? The law is passed and everyone has to follow. Um, there's also a different source um, between the canon law and the secular law. The canon comes from the idea of it being um, coming from God. Now, again, I, I want to be careful here. I, I, the canon coming from God doesn't mean that it's like a commandment from God, right? Because, again, it's created by man, and, and there could be different councils in different places have different opinions about what, ca what, what it is. But the goal is to conform people to the will of God by creating these rules to help them, okay? Um, it's expressed through the apostles, the early fathers, and the councils. So where do we get the source of the canons? We get it through the apostles. There are some canons that were directly by the apostles. Um, there are some sources of canons that 
um, are, are, are called like the teachings of the 12 apostles. It doesn't mean like the Didache, for instance. The Didache is the teachings of the 12 apostles. It doesn't mean that the 12 apostles wrote the Didache. It means that whatever the teachings were of the apostles were written down later on as being here are the teachings that the apostles taught, right? It doesn't mean that the authors of the Didache were the actual apostles themselves, but, but that this is a representation of the teachings of the apostles. Um, and I think we've talked about the Didache in the past. Um, the early fathers um, also um, uh, created canons and councils um, also are canons. Um, the secular uh, laws, of course, the source is not always the will of God. It's not based on the, the like the 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 to 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 the, like the spiritual life or anything like that. It's just it's administrating um, uh, is administrating the people. The other thing is uh, laws in the government, right? Their focus is to regulate the uh, interactions between people right so like when you say do not murder right it's like because one person harming another okay whereas the canon law is not just about regulating between people but can even be commandments for each individual to do on their own right because it's spiritually beneficial for them so that the nature of the laws between the canon and the secular is different also they have a different goal the canon law um you know, or is, is regulating the members for the sake of their salvation where the secular is focused on the present and not eternal salvation. It's not focusing on something that is to come, but it's focusing on something right now. What should be done now? What should be done today? It's not thinking about the future. It's just thinking about regulating the actions of the people now. Um, different chronological focus, um, seeking to regulate present behavior, regulate now for the sake of the future, the canons, right? And I just mentioned this. And the secular is regulate now for the sake of the present, not, not for the future. Um, different aspects of the present behavior. The canons, they look at the internal disposition and the external behavior, right? Whereas the secular are focused only on the external. Okay, I also mentioned that. How to approach the canons. So there's two extremes when approaching the canons. Um, one is a very legalistic view. So a person who applies the canon very le uh, legalistically and rigidly without pastoral considerations, meaning if the canon says this, then that means it has to be applied without any kind of exception, okay? Um, and, and there's no flexibility. So in this view, kind of like the, the way that the Pharisees applied the Sabbath, right? They said no one, like according to the, the commandment of God, no one should do any kind of work on the Sabbath. So they took it to such an extreme to where it's like you can't walk on the Sabbath beyond a certain distance. You can't press a button on the Sabbath. You can't do all these things because it's all considered to be work. And then there was all kinds of elaborate loopholes to try to get around um, these rigid laws without technically breaking the law. Okay? Um, so it reduces, um, like, the church to be an institution where the canons are applied without mercy, without discernment, right? Just kind of across the board. And this contradicts love, mercy, and salvation, right? Like there are always going to be unique and exceptional cases based on the situation where maybe not everything can be applied exactly the same for everyone. Um, the opposite extreme uh, for the canons is uh, people are resistant, right? People say the canons are against the spirit of the church, Against love and mercy, they interfere with our freedom in Christ. Um, they should not apply in the New Testament. Um, they interfere with our relationship with God. Um, again, like they consider it to be very legalistic and, and like, like the Pharisees um, to even have any canons at all. But we can rem rem remind ourselves of what St. Saint Saint Paul spoke about freedom as freedom is freedom from slavery and sin, but not freedom from Christ. So we're fulfilling the law. Like Christ still 
gave us commandments. And he said, you must abide by these commandments. And the church canons are designed to help us to fulfill the commandments of Christ. They're, they're designed to help encourage us to, 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 to be more obedient, to be more loving, to be more spiritual. Okay, that's the purpose of the canon. Both extremes should be avoided, both the legalism and the resistance. We need to learn to approach the canons with underlying, oh, sorry, with understanding and with, flexi with flexibility. So the word economy or economia means household management, the law of the house or house building, and refers primarily to two related concepts in the Orthodox Church, the divine plan for man's salvation and the specific Episcopal application of the canons and the life of the church. So you have the overall salvation plan for, for Christ, of, of Christ for us as human beings, and then there's how we approach, you know. So, for instance, um, the idea of fasting before the liturgy, right, um, whether we fast before the liturgy or not, we're still partaking of the body and blood of Christ, right? So you can say, well, if the body and blood of Christ is what is necessary for salvation, as what Christ said in John chapter 6, that unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. So the focus is we want to partake of the body and blood of Christ. That's what's necessary for salvation. And in that passage, Christ said nothing about fasting before you eat of the body and blood, right? And maybe we can say that even on the, the day of the Lord's Supper, on Covenant Thursday, um, when they partook of his body and blood there at the Passover, like after the Passover meal, like did they were they fasting or not? Um, we don't we don't really know, right? So someone can question and say, what's the what's the reason why we do this? Well, in the book of First uh, Corinthians, Saint Paul rebuked the Corinthians because they were coming to partake of communion in an unworthy manner, and some people were coming drunk, some people were were like were, were coming and treating the communion like any common meal right so the church in order to make people like understand the seriousness of the communion and to address a problem that was happening because that's another point with canons is canons are reactive they are they are reacting to a problem right so it's a law that's put into place to address an issue that's happening right um, and so so in order to address the issue the church said no no we need to fast before we take communion. Well, why? Well, because it helps us to not fall into the trap that St. Paul was speaking about, which is coming and treating the, the communion like a common thing and coming in a, and taking it in an unworthy manner, right? Now, does that mean that every single person who, you know, would eat before taking communion, that automatically means that they're partaking of communion in an unworthy manner? No. But the law is applying generally because it is a, a good practice generally to help keep all of us from falling into that trap. But, as I mentioned before, there are exceptions for individual cases where there's reasons why the person cannot abide. Um, even the, the length of fasting, the, the number of hours of abstinence of fasting, there, there's all kinds of different um, exceptions that can be made for an individual basis. But that's not to say then that because there, there needs to be exceptions that we say, well, the whole concept of having these rules from the beginning is is wrong, right? So to understand a canon, one must first understand the canon in its history and context. And there's four tools to analyze or interpret the canons. The first, like, so uh, when we're trying to read the canons, so we have a list of all these canons, right? The church accepts. So how do we understand them uh, and how to apply them? So the first way to understand them is a grammatical analysis, meaning understand the letter of the law and look at the original language. What is it that that's actually said? What do the words say? And what do the words mean? 
Okay. Then logical analysis. Understand the relationship of one part of the canon with different parts of the same canon. So, like, um, how how what is the intention, right, um, of those who wrote the canon and, and and how to understand it by comparing it with itself? How does it all fit together? Does it does it all fit together in a logical way? Um, historical analysis. Considered what was happening in the world and in the church at the time the canon was made, um, because canons are reactive to a situation. So. If we want to look at, for instance, the canon that I mentioned before about whether you should take communion to people in their homes or not, if you didn't understand the context of why that canon was written and maybe why the canon was written in the reverse, uh, it wouldn't make sense. Like you wouldn't understand why would they do that? Why would they say this and then why would they say the opposite? But when you understand the historical context, then it makes sense. Um, systematic analysis, understand relation of one canon to other canons or other laws. So. How do all the canons fit together? What is it that they were trying to achieve? Abrogation means it means the abolishment of canons. Okay, how canons are abolished? A canon can only be abolished by an authority that is equal to or greater than the authority that laid down the canon. So a canon created by ecumenical council can only be abrogated by an ecumenical council. So that means any canon that was created by ecumenical council is a binding on the entire church, and because there are no more ecumenical councils that are happening. Um, that means there is no way that anyone can cancel a canon that was created by a canonical council. Okay, but there have been exceptions to this, unfortunately. So, for instance, um, the 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 split that happened in the Catholic Church, or like the Church of Rome, which used to be part of the Orthodox Church, split off and became the Catholic Church. Um, one of the reasons that this happened is because they chose to make a change to the creed. Now, the creed is something that was created in the Council of Nicaea and then updated in the Council of Constantinople, two ecumenical councils. Um, so when the Church of Rome, on its own, unilaterally, without ecumenical council, goes and makes a change to the creed, now there's a problem because you are making a change to something that was created by uh, something of higher authority than you. Okay, And that shouldn't, shouldn't happen. So, for instance, a canon that came from an apostle cannot be changed. Because there are no more apostles. Like apostles are the highest rank in the church. And there are no more apostles that exist now. So there's no way for any canon who was that was created by an apostle to be changed. But if, if you have, um, uh, like for instance, let's say um, a bishop um, creates a rule in his diocese. But then the synod comes and says, you know what? We, we do not want this rule to exist anywhere in the church. We, we, we say that uh, we're going to apply something different. That council is now, like the bishop has to abide by the council because the council is a higher authority than the bishop, right? So there is a hierarchy in the authority in the church. Some canons are universal and absolute, such as dogmatic canons. These canons just, they, they, they outline what we believe, right? And the things that we believe don't change. And the things that we don't that we believe are not like in one region we believe this and in another region we believe that. Right. So, for instance, we believe that um, in baptism, that a person is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right. So so that's not something that can change. Um, other canons that can be abolished or abrogated in two ways. So an equal or greater authority can do it by formal decree um, or it can fall into disuse because the circumstances that created it no longer exist. So as again, as I mentioned, the, the canon related to who you give communion to. Um, if the, 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 the situation that was um, that existed to cause it to um, to have to be created it doesn't exist anymore. We don't have an issue now 
of when the priest is on his way to someone's house to give someone communion, that he's going to be mobbed by people to steal the communion from him. At least I'm not aware of it. Um, so, so, so that's why we doesn't we don't we don't apply that anymore, right? Because the situation that existed, that caused the canon to be created, it doesn't exist anymore. What are some topics that are addressed by canon law? Okay, so some of them are theological. To typically to clarify dogma faith or to address some heresy that was uh, that was pre prevalent at the time. Um, some canons are related to liturgical rites. Um, they offer information regarding rites and prayers, fasting, uh, prayer, ordination of priestly ranks, things like that. Um, some canons are related to clergy to address ranks, qualifications, authority, process of ordination, relationship between bishops and other bishops, and between bishops and lay people. Um, there are some canons speaking about monasticism, the rules of monasticism, who can become a monk, what, what, what does someone have to do while they are a monk or none. There's uh, canons related to personal status, so related to marriage, related to divorce, uh, living with someone outside of marriage, um, but not financial matters. Right? Those things are considered to be civil matters and are not addressed by the church canons. Um, and then there's canons about lay people. Um, ethics, relationship to the church, adultery, theft, fornication, um, jobs a layperson cannot hold to take communion. So, for instance, if a person is seen as having an immoral career, an immoral job, then that person would not be able to take communion. And there's canons for all these things, right? There's canons for all these things. Um, the sources of canon law, okay? So, again, we said when I when I say the will of God, I don't mean that God is the one who gave us the canons and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they are to help us to live according to God's will. Um, to differentiate between primary, it's important to differentiate between primary sources and secondary sources. So primary sources are the canons themselves. Secondary sources are works that speak to how a canon is interpreted. So like we, we might have the text of the canon, but then you might have another source that talks about how the canon was used in the church historically. Secondary sources are works that speak about how a canon is created and used throughout history. Okay. What are the sources of the canon? So some canons are based on the scripture. So it's an emphasis of what we already believe. So obviously, as believers, we, we already believe in the scripture. right? But we might create a canon that is based on something in scripture to emphasize that this is what we are doing and applying. right? So it is, it is, it is based on the scripture. But um, it is it is outlined as a separate canon, or you might have canons that are based on holy tradition. Again, to emphasize that we accept this as being part of the holy tradition and that we apply it. Um, there's canons of the holy apostles, so they're written by the apostles, or they are taught by them and written by others. So as I mentioned, the Didache is the teachings of the twelve apostles. Um, it is it is not um, written by them directly, but it is their works, right? Their their teachings. Um, there's the canons of the three ecumenical councils, Nicaea, Constantinople, and Ephesus. There's also the canons of some regional local church councils, canons of some early church fathers, and then canons and collections of canons from Coptic churches, th from the Coptic church after 451. So 451 is when the Council of Chalcedon was, and that's where the split happened between the Eastern Orthodox and the Oriental Orthodox that we're still living with until today. So a lot of the sources of the canons were from before the split, but there are some collections of canons that also came from the Coptic Church after um, the split happened. Okay. 
So next time, God willing, we're going to go into more detail about some specific canons um, regarding some different topics. And here's some of the topics we're going to talk about. Canons regarding speaking in church, prostrations, the altar, the seven orders of the church, when we pray for the seven orders of the church of God in liturgy, um, the kiss of peace, the prayer of the hours, and some feasts and fasts. Um, again, a lot of these things we might already know, but um, to look and see where the canons came from that um, are the source of what it is that we are doing, it kind of helps us to understand like a bigger picture of where the source of the authority of the church is coming from. Does anyone have any questions before we conclude? No, it's not an ecumenical. We don't consider it to be ecumenical council because the definition of ecumenical council is that all the churches have to participate. And we rejected that council, right? So we didn't participate. So it can't be ecumenical. Yeah, but we ended up rejecting the outcome of the council. So we don't consider... That's why we, when we say how many ecumenical councils are there, we say there's three. The Eastern Orthodox will say there's seven ecumenical councils because they consider that those are ecumenical because they excommunicated us and so we're no longer valid to be present at the council, right? Whereas we we look at it as, no, we rejected those councils as being ecumenical. E even the, you know, not everything that, not everything that was like concluded in those councils we disagree with. It's not like everything in those seven councils or the other four councils. It's not like everything that they came up with we disagree with, right? But we don't consider them to be ecumenical because we weren't not, we are not present at those councils. So, so it's, it's based on the ranks of the source. So, for instance, the apostles, they are the highest rank in the church, higher than the bishops, because they were the originally, the, the apostles were chosen by Christ. So that's considered like the highest, right? The councils also are the highest council because they, they include everyone. The whole church is involved. So that's the, the highest type of council. Then you have councils that the whole church was not involved. It was regional, right? So that's of lower authority than having everyone to be involved. Then, but, but because it's conciliar, our church is conciliar, so we place higher rank on the councils than we do on individuals. So then after the, after the, the, the councils, then we say, okay, what about individual people, like the early church fathers? And then we say canons that um, came after the split, right? Now, again, like this list isn't necessarily listing everything in order of rank but but th there are things that are seen to be of higher authority than others like typically uh, councils are going to be of higher authority than individuals and councils that involve a larger group of the church would be considered higher authority than those who who, who were of smaller group so that's why yes it could be like yes one of the orthodox churches um like our synod would be considered local council relative to the church as a whole. Yes. I mean, 
there are more local and the, like diocese is more local but i don't think there's going to be a diocese that's going to come up with a canon by itself it's going to there's going to be a canon it would be applied to the coptic church as a whole the archdiocese I, I wouldn't think that it would be called a canon. I think you could create a rule that would apply, but I don't think it would it would necessarily be considered a canon. Yeah. It wouldn't be added to the list of canons that are taught in a seminary about canons. <laughs> it would be it would be like okay, w- the church has decided that we are going to do this thing or not do this thing. But it wouldn't necessarily be written out as like a formal decree or canon. That would be added to the official list of canons accepted by the church. Uh, yeah. Mary, did you have a question? That's a good question. That's a good question because I, I, I know that the, 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 the Holy Synod, they come up with decrees, but I don't think that they, can, they pass them and consider them to be canons. Um, I think they just are considered decisions, but I'm not totally sure about that. But, th- I mean, the Holy Synod comes up with decisions all the time. But what is the technical term for that, like whether those would be considered canons or not, I'm not totally sure. So holy tradition I- includes, like, you know, anything that we believe was taught by Christ but not recorded in the Bible. Right. Whereas canons are like very specific, like you can enumerate canons, you can number the canons and say this, these, this council, we accept these 17 canons, this council, we accept this number of canons. Like you can list all the canons uh, that the church accepts from various sources. Whereas holy tradition is just a large group of beliefs that encompass many things. It's not enumerated that way. Yeah, the details of how the liturgy is prayed would be part of holy tradition. Yes, yeah. So Solomon. Yeah, so there are there could be more canons that were adopted after the split. So that is specific to us. So that's this last point here. Canons and collections of canons from Coptic Church after 451. That would be canons that were created after the split happened. So those would be canons that are unique to us that don't apply to Eastern Orthodox. Whereas prior to that, every canon was shared between the two. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that in the Synod, like, there are people who are experts in these canons, but I, I don't know who that is exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we can pray. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing in everything that we do, and we ask that you help us to understand the source of authority in the church and all the rules, O Lord, that were created for our salvation. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.